If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. We are continuing this series, as Adam said, that we are calling I Am. And what we're doing in the month of February is taking a look at what are known as the I Am statements of Jesus. These <clears throat> profound descriptions that he would use to tell the world exactly who he is and what he can do for us and what he can do in this world and in our lives. Last week, we kicked off by taking a look at the time Jesus called himself the Good Shepherd. And we learned a lot about sheep, and we learned a lot about shepherds, and hopefully we learned something about ourselves in the process. Today, what I want to do is I want to look at the events surrounding and, and the context in which Jesus called himself the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And I want to show you a story about love, about hope, about the loss of hope, and about God's power over life and death. I want to show you how God can use even the most difficult times in your life to grow your faith and to draw you nearer to him. Now, before we kind of get into the teaching of the day, I want to show you something that Jesus' brother said. Jesus' brother's name is James, and he said something that really goes with what we're talking about today. James 1, he says this, Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James is saying that there is a connection in this world between the trials that we go through, the storms that we go through, and our faith. There's a, a connection between all of that. He says, the testing of your faith produces perseverance, so let the perseverance finish its work. In other words, I understand, he's saying, that what you're going through is hard. I understand it could be gut-wrenching, perhaps, but you got to hold on, and you got to endure, and you got to make it to the end, because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God is doing something in all of this. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James is saying it's not an accident when Christians go through things. It's not an accident. And it is not an accident that in the midst of those things that something happens to our faith in God. Today, we're going to see this play out in real time. We're going to take a look at what is one of the greatest stories in Scripture, at least one of the greatest stories in the New Testament, it starts off in John chapter 11, verse 1. Here it begins. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister, his sister Martha. So we meet this little family. we got Lazarus, Mary, Martha. Now, what you may not know, if you haven't really read the scriptures, and if you haven't, that's fine. These folks are not just friends of Jesus. They are close family friends. I don't know, growing up, if you had people you called aunt and uncle, they weren't really aunt and uncle, but they were that close. That's what we got going on here. They're very close family friends. So Lazarus gets sick. So the sisters, they send word to Jesus. Here's the message. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, is there anything harder than being on the receiving end of this kind of news? If you're here today and just this week, you got word that someone you love is sick. Or maybe you got word that the job you love is going to be coming to an end. Maybe it finally became clear that, that this marriage that you had so many hopes and dreams is, is, fine, is actually turning into a nightmare. Jesus, he gets word that the one that he loves is sick. 
So he sends a message back to Mary and Martha. And he tells them this. This sickness will not end in death. Now that's great news. But he's not done. He goes on to say something that is profound. And what he's about to tell us, he's about to introduce us to what I'll call a brand new theological category that we have never seen before at all in Scripture or in the Bible. It's a brand new way of of understanding how God works in this world and how God works in our lives. Jesus says this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. You see what he's revealing to us right here? He's saying there are times when God allows something bad in your life so that he may be glorified. Now, if I'm being honest, if God is going to use my life to glorify him, I would prefer, right, that he would let me win some major award, that I can sort of go up on stage and I can receive this award and I can say, I'd like to thank Jesus, my Lord and Savior, you know, and give it the old point and choke back one of these things that Christians like to give and we all kind of know what that means. And Jesus is like, that's great. We love when you do that. This is better though. This is a, a more, this works a little better for us. So, It continues. John says, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay, John's like, okay, just before we kind of continue the story, I just want to make sure you know that Jesus actually loved these people because what he's about to do is going to make you think that he doesn't love them. Okay, so he, he, he loves them. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. So he does the exact opposite of what you expect, right? You would expect, you would hope that Jesus would drop everything that he's doing to go run to help Lazarus. But instead, he gets word that his close family friend, this one that he loves, is sick and needs him. And Jesus does nothing for two solid days. Stays put. Now, during this time, Mary and Martha, they have been praying for two days, they're asking their friends, hey, would you, would you, would you, you, know, would you pray with us for, for, my, for Lazarus? He's sick. And when your loved one is in critical condition, two days, that's like a lifetime. But they are praying, and they are believing in Jesus, and so they're telling everybody, hey, listen, Jesus is coming. We call him. He's coming. Jesus is gonna, he's going to come. He's going to fix this. He's going to come. Just you wait to see how Jesus handles this. Two days. Finally, John says, he said to his disciples, ah, Let's go back to Judea. It's, it's finally time to go. Now, the disciples hear this, and I, it, perhaps it hadn't dawned on them that Lazarus lived in Judea, but, but this is a problem. So they say, to, they say to Jesus, hey, but Rabbi, a short while ago, other translations say, a few days ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back? What they're really afraid of is getting killed themselves. So Jesus responds. He says, well, our our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And I love their response. They go, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better, right? This is Jesus. I mean, come on, you know nothing better than a solid eight hours. This is honestly, if like, we should just let him sleep. There's, I mean, we could just pray from here. There's no reason we got to go there. Honestly, if we show up, the 12 of us and you, it's going to be a whole thing. Very disruptive. So Jesus cuts them off and tells them plainly, hey, Lazarus is dead. He's dead, yeah. How do you know? How do I know? <laughs> I know, okay? And, and so, so then Jesus says something next that will blow your mind. Lazarus is dead, okay? And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Whoa. Let's pause. 
because this seemingly callous remark has huge implications that we have to understand. Jesus in this moment is looking at his 12 guys and he's effectively saying, I am willing to let all of this negative stuff happen, his death, with the surrounding sorrow, confusion, extrapolate, cancer, storms, all, you know, bad stuff in this world, so that you may believe. So wait, Jesus, are you telling us that you set this entire thing up in order to teach us about faith? Yeah. Are you telling us that in the eyes of God, faith is more important than healing? Yes. What Jesus is saying here is exactly what his brother James was talking about, that God will do whatever it takes to grow your faith in him. And we don't necessarily like this, do we? This, dis this is disturbing. It rocks our world to think that Jesus would do something like this, but this shows us how important our faith is to God. He will do whatever it takes. So we have that big, bold, rock-solid, unshakable faith. So if all of this was orchestrated, so to speak, to grow our faith, let's see how this impacts the faith of the people in this story. Jesus says, all right, we're going to go back now. Thomas, one of the disciples, he piped up. Thomas, whose nickname was Twin, and commentaries say he actually looked like Jesus, so they called him Twin, said to the other disciples, come on, let's go, so we can die with him. Okay? Thomas is famously known as Doubting Thomas. Perhaps you've heard this before. He doubted the resurrection. He's like, all right, I'll believe that Jesus came back from the grave when I see him with my own eyes and I put my fingers in his wounds, then I'll, I'll believe it. Here we see it again. He looks at the disciples and he goes, look, listen, okay, I don't know what Jesus thinks he's going to do for Lazarus, but the only thing he's going to do is get himself killed. So yeah, let's go with Jesus and die because there's no way that this is going to turn out well at all. Thomas is struggling with doubt. He's absolutely 100% a follower of Jesus, okay? But for one reason or another, and I don't, I don't know the reasons, his faith is not rock solid, which means he's a prime candidate for Jesus' little faith exercise that's going on here. So let me ask you, have you ever doubted God? I have. In fact, I don't really know anybody who hasn't, and if you say you haven't, you're either lying or it hasn't happened yet. Because you prayed, right? You prayed and, and, and you believed God would answer, and he didn't. Boom. Doubt. Maybe for you, you grew up with kind of a, I don't know, a simple faith, let's call it, and you, know, you went off to college and you took an English lit class and the professor said something about the Bible and it rocked your world. Doubt. Maybe someone you love got sick, and you prayed, and they died. And you're left wondering, uh, if God is good, then why, why would he let this happen? Boom. Doubt. Thomas says, let's go die with Jesus because there is no way that he's going to be able to do anything about this situation. Story continues. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, from a cultural perspective, four days is important. At this time, the Jews believed. Now, this belief is not scriptural. Okay? It's not found in the Bible. It's not found in the Torah. Uh, okay, this is a, sort of a, just a cultural belief. They believed that the soul would hover over the body for three days. 
And at any point during those three days, it could potentially reunite with the body. But after three days, it's over. Lights out. This is John's way of letting us know that Jesus has brought Mary and Martha to a place of no hope. In their mind, culturally, it's the end of the line. Lazarus is dead, dead. Verse 20. Now, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary, well, she stayed home. Jesus finally arrives four days later. Martha bolts to go see him. But Mary doesn't even get off the couch. This is fascinating. What you may not know about Mary is that she is considered by some to be almost a female disciple of Jesus. Earlier accounts show that she would sit at the feet of Jesus learning alongside the other disciples. She knows who Jesus is. She knows what he's about. She knows what he can do. And yet, in spite of all that, she doesn't even go out to see him. Why? Because Mary is struggling with discouragement. I don't need to go see Jesus. Damage is done. Brother's already dead. Why bother? Some of you might be there right now. You think, I can never change. The way it is is the way it's always going to be, right? Why bother with Jesus? Nothing is going to change. I'm stuck in this dead-end job. I'm never going to have the kind of marriage that I always dreamed I could have. I'm stuck. I'm discouraged. I would argue that Mary wasn't just discouraged. I would argue she's actually mad. She's mad at Jesus for what he failed to do for her, right? She knows who he is. She knows what he's capable of. And he failed her in her mind. And so she's mad. And maybe you are too. But here's the thing. You're here today, aren't you? And, and you've got a smile on the outside and, and you know, you're praising God, hallelujah, on the outside. But in your heart of hearts, you're mad. And you're discouraged. Because God, who could have done something, didn't. And now it's too late in your mind. Mary stayed home, but Martha ran out to go see Jesus. She says, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would still be alive. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have died. This statement gets me every time. Jesus, if you had come when I prayed you would come, if you had come when I asked you to come, he would still be alive. Mary is struggling with disappointment. It's your fault, Jesus. I prayed. I believed, and you took too long. You, you, di you didn't show up. You didn't show up. How many of you can sympathize with Mary right now, Martha right now? How many of you perhaps in this moment are waiting on what I'll call an unanswered prayer? Like you're, you're single, right? And you're living for the Lord. You're doing everything right. You're doing everything he's asked you to do. And, 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 and yet you've been praying for a wife. You've been praying for a husband. Nothing. Everybody else getting married. You're doing everything right, and you're praying hard. But, but, and you're afraid it's too late. Maybe you're married, and you desperately want a baby. And you have been trying and trying. And you have been praying and believing, and you have exhausted all options. And God is just silent. The examples are myriad. 
but you've been waiting on God and he is not showing up when you thought he should show up. If that's you, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that scripture is very, very clear. God's delays are not God's denials, okay? And just because he hasn't done something yet doesn't mean he won't do something. And just because he hasn't done something yet doesn't mean he still isn't in charge in this world. And according to Jesus, in this very story, God may be using this thing in your life that you never wanted, that you never wished you were going through, to bring glory to himself and to grow your faith. So Martha loved Jesus, but she was crushed that he didn't act when he could have acted. But look at what she says. She says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask for. Jesus, even now, okay, even though we are struggling with doubt and discouragement and anger and disappointment, even now, God can give you whatever you ask for. Now, I don't know who you are or what your story is, but I do believe that someone in this room right now needs what I'll call an even now moment. Even now, when you are discouraged, I'm just telling you, God can come into your life and he can build your faith. Even now, when you are anxious and afraid of the, the events going on around you, even now, the Holy Spirit can come in and give you a peace that surpasses all human comprehension. Even now, our God can reach into your messy family situation and bring healing and harmony and forgiveness and restoration. Even now, when everything looks impossible, when it looks like it's too late, when it looks like it's beyond hope, even now we serve a God who says all things are possible. So Jesus gives Martha her even now moment. And he says to her, your brother will rise again. Look at her response. She says, I know. He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's like, Jesus, I, 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 I know you're teaching. I've been listening. I believe you're teaching. Okay, I know that as you say that you will raise up all who believe in you on the last day. I know that I will see Lazarus again in the future, but I'm hurting now. And then Jesus does something amazing. He moves this idea of this future resurrection out of just some statement of faith that we, you know, mentally agree to. Yes, I believe that. Okay. Out of the future and into the present. And he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, Martha, I'm able to resurrect. He said, I am the resurrection. Now, as Christians, we tend to think about the resurrection as an event, don't we? Easter. But the resurrection isn't just an event. The resurrection is a person. The resurrection isn't just what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. The resurrection isn't just what Jesus does. It is who he is. And dead things don't stay dead when the resurrection walks into the room. So he looks at Martha, who I have got to imagine has tears streaming down her face. And he says, do you believe this, Martha? I understand you're hurting. I understand that there are people here who are doubting me. I get it. I understand there are people here who are discouraged. I understand that you are confused and hurt by my delayed reaction. But do you believe, in spite of everything you see, that I am the resurrection and the life? 
Yes, Lord. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Yes, in spite of all the hurt and disappointment and discouragement and, 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 and the doubt, I still believe. I have not lost faith. I will not walk away from you. Jesus then walks over to Lazarus' tomb. And he says, roll the stone aside. Now Martha chimes in and, and, and she says, Jesus, no, please, no, no. Okay, look, it's been four days. The smell is going to be unbearable. In other words, I, I can't bear to face this tragedy again. And I love what Jesus says. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Jesus then prays to the Father so that everybody in the crowd could see that he and God are one. And then he famously shouted, Lazarus, come out. And John tells us that Lazarus came out alive, proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus himself was the resurrection, that Jesus was life. Story wraps up. John tells us that many people there who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. I bet they did. Jesus didn't simply leverage a painful situation, okay? He created one. And he did it not just to bring glory to God and not just so many would come to faith in Christ, but also so that the faith of Thomas and Mary and Martha and all those who would hear this story, that our faith would be strengthened as well. So what's the practical? What do you do with a, a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. As I said at the top, I think this is one of the greatest stories in all of Scripture. But I actually left out one of the most pivotal moments in this story. As Jesus stood outside that tomb and he looked around, he saw Mary and Martha and, and all of their fellow Jews it, it just weeping, destroyed by this death and the events of the last four days. And John tells us that in that moment, Jesus wept. In my opinion, there is no greater example in all of Scripture of Jesus' divinity and humanity coming together than this right here. Right here, you have God. Remember, Jesus is God. Right here, you have God who has the power to perform miracles, who has the power to call down legions of angels on his behalf, who knows exactly what he's about to do, and still he pauses to feel what Mary and Martha are feeling. To feel what you have felt when you stood behind, beside a grave. To feel what you felt when you prayed and things didn't work out the way you wanted. It's as if he's pausing to let every single one of us know that God knows your situation and he feels your pain. And I know that so many of us are going through so much right now, honestly. And maybe for you, your pillow is soaked with tears at night from crying out to God or just from crying. 
I just want you to know that, G, that, that God knows your name. He knows your story. He feels your pain. And he weeps with you. And I don't know if you're struggling with, with doubt like Thomas did. I don't know if it's like, if you're like Mary and Martha and it's discouragement and anger and confusion, but I would just encourage you to ask God for that even now moment. Lord, I am holding on by a thread. Lord, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm this close to walking away. But even now, even now, I know you can work in my life. So God, if what you say is true, that you allow things to happen so that you can be glorified, then God, I need to see you in this. Okay? I, I need a sign that in the midst of my trials and tribulations and in the midst of my heartache, I need a sign to know that you are here with me. I don't, I don't want to live in a world where I think that you're doing something to me, but rather that you're doing something through me. Help me to feel your presence so that I know that you're aware, I know that you care, and that I know that you're a part of this. Because I want to emerge out the other side with a stronger faith in you. And I want to be able to give you all the glory that you deserve. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, because we live in a fallen world, I know that every single person in this room, watching online or listening in the future, is either about to go into a storm, is in the middle of a storm, or is coming out the other side. And I pray, Lord, that no matter where we are, we could feel you in this. That we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are in control, even when things seem out of control, that you have a plan to glorify yourself and to grow our faith in you. God, for those of us in this room who have been crying out in prayer for you to move, I pray that you would move. That you would give us that even now moment to see you work powerfully in our lives. That you would strengthen our faith. And Lord, through this process, if we lean into you rather than run away, God, I pray that when it's all done, we can give you all the glory in the world. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen.